Thanks for joining us for the Small Talk Big Ideas podcast, a podcast to enrich your soul, where we have conversations with inspiring people about all things property, business and life. And now, the host of Small Talk Big Ideas, Ian Ugarte. Hey, thanks for joining us on the Small Talk Big Ideas podcast. And today we're talking to brand expert Glenn Campbell, the man who actually pivoted and made a huge difference to my business by being able to actually get the real me out of me as a leader and actually and put the emphasis onto my staff and the talent in my office. So enjoy Glenn Campbell and the talks that we talk from quantum physics all the way through to brand not being just a colour. We're into this podcast and we're talking about CEOs who are showing themselves up as, you know, those saviours for those businesses around the place. But at the same time, as you just said, Glenn, they're just absolutely smashing to pieces, those ones who can't handle it and then are on the free ride. Um, So it's an interesting scenario. Well, it's, you know, I mean, uh, you just kind of mentioned it around energy. and I'm a big believer that leaders need to be masters of energy first and foremost, I mean, before anything. And you, you were just talking about, you know, people who have got the wrong energy and the wrong energy, um, you know, is going to be caught up in, in any kind of situation where there's a bit of a crisis or where there's, you know, a lot of pressure put on a business to perform. I mean, these people, uh, you know, can't, they've got nowhere to hide. And so there's, uh, there's a massive clean out, I believe, and we're only just beginning that clean out where the low vibrational energy leaders the guys who are into command and control, right? I mean, this is the big focus at the moment in the world is this whole idea of uh, fear-based actions and motivation, command and control. And any leader that's kind of pushing that agenda, um, I think um, they've got a very limited scope of ability to grow their businesses. And and, uh, I think what's happening as well is team members, employees, are just not going to stand for it anymore because this is not what... Um, is required to actually develop a great business. I mean, it's not from it's not from the heart. Uh, it's not from any place of uh, light or high vibrational energy, and it's not from what's best for everybody associated involved. Um, you know, in that respect, and so th- therefore those leaders are going. And I think you know we're starting to see uh, a little of that happen now. I think there's going to be a whole lot more. Yeah, I mean, you, you Brand had Brand Hearts, obviously your company, the business, and you know started that a number yep. of years ago. You work with a lot of leaders and CEOs, but you've got a background in marketing, and we're talking about like top end advertising agencies that you started with, and 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 you, you know, I can't remember the exact figures, but you you were one of the big wigs in the big companies. Um, yeah, I mean, I've had that history. I've worked in um, brand strategy and communication companies, both domestically and abroad. Uh, for 25 years, I've worked in four markets. Yeah, I've worked in the U.S. on Madison Avenue, um, in a in a massive company there. I've worked in um, Leo Burnett, Chicago. Um, I've worked throughout uh, Asia uh, for many years, and and also in Australia. And for companies like um, you know Saatchi and Saatchi, who when I worked there and ran the Toyota business basically, um, Toyota and Hino and um, you know Lexus. Um, was the best agency in Australia and had been awarded, you know, the top agency of the year for two years running. And and so I work with those guys who are a tough agency to work for because they had massively um, high standards of excellence in terms of strategic thinking and in terms of communications. Um, Leo Burnett as well, Cleminger as well. Um, you know, I've been the CEO of four 
different um, strategic communication companies as well before I decided to move out of that arena and and um, create Brandhart and and work with leaders and yeah. fundamentally. I mean, I think you had similar to to me. Um, you know, I, I worked under um, for a long time in my public speaking and um, and being able to deliver to uh, investors. I worked under a, a, a certain person, and there was a point in time where I just woke up. Like, and I'm not talking about you know. I am sort of talking about woke in the sense of you know what the African Americans use as the world woke. But I sort of you, you sort of get to that point where you look in front of yourself and you go, like, oh, I was under a complete spell there, and you cannot, you can no longer be in that place. And is that what happened for you? Yeah, yeah, no, it is. It's it, it's it's very similar. In and I think you and I have talked about this before. You know, when we've um, had our chats, um, it was it was both an epiphany for me, which was very positive, but it was also was this kind of uh, waking up where you just say. I'm actually um, a bought and paid for slave here. And, um, you know, I just can't do this anymore. And it was, you know, at that stage when I, it, this had been going on for about a decade with me and my various CEO roles, but it got to the point where I remember coming home one night and talking to my wife, Victoria, and said, I've just got to get out of here. I can't do this anymore. This is killing me. It's literally destroying my energy. It's destroying my ability to think. It's destroying my ability to actually be me. And I'm a slave to this business and I know I am. And and they, um, you know, at the time, um, didn't even hold back and, and try and hide the fact. They basically said, you you know, this is what you get paid for. This is what you've got to do. Yeah. And you, there's just no ifs or buts about it, mate. I mean, get, get the head get the nose to the, you know, the shoulder of the grindstone and, and make this stuff happen. And we don't really want to hear your opinion about it. Yeah. And um, I'd had various discussions like that. I mean, I think I told you the story once where um, when I was running this agency, there was 115 people and we're turning over about 350 million. And um, my um, conversations with the group CEO and the group CFO went from uh, quarterly to monthly to weekly where they were literally talking to me about what I'd done in the last week. And, you know, we had a gestation period of pitching and winning new business of about eight months. It's kind of like, well, what do you think I've been doing? <laughs> and this was this kind of massive level of control um, that they were placing on me where, you know, and think about this, Ian, you're in a business, it's all about creativity and imagination. Um, and you're all, you know, you're really about moving at that high vibrational energy of confidence. Um, and the system is actually doing the exact opposite, um, where they want to control you and they want to make sure that you kind of knuckle down and, and play the game exactly by their rules. And so, um, you know, I had a conversation with Victoria and I said, I've just got to get out. And she said, what are you going to do? And I said, I have no idea, but I just can't do this anymore. Mm. And I don't want to do this. And it was that epiphany that led me to the realization that to work with um, organizations to develop their brands, I first needed to work with the leader and have the leader understand what leadership was all about. And it's and, and um, because I'd experienced what I felt was in my role, um, uh, empowering uh, expansive leadership where I could be uh, in a situation where I used my energy um, to create 
um, not fear-based leadership, but, you know, love-based leadership from the heart, really. That's why mm. I call my business brand art. You know, it's from the it's from the heart, which is a completely different vibration to um, anything that's fear-based or control-based. And so um, I started, you know, I started my own business and started working with leaders and said, you know, to really develop um, the brand of an organization and the culture specifically because these two things are so closely connected, it's extraordinary. Um, you can't have a great brand without a great culture. Um, you, you got it starts with the leadership. You because gotta, you've got to you've got to work with the leadership team first. Yeah, because that's the thing. I mean, I've worked with you. Christine's worked with you. Our business and our our um, talent in our office has worked with you as well. And you know, when you see the word brand or branding, a company that does branding, you know, automatically people are going, "Well, what color should I do my logo, Glenn?" Like, you don't really give a crap about the logo <laughs> and the color and what tone it is and what place and affliction. It like it really doesn't matter. For me, what I found was that we had a business um, that had its intrinsic value it had its its intuitive ability to do what it wanted to do it had its underlying feeling but what i struggled with was to bring that forward was to bring it and actually be able to in words demonstrate to people who we were as a business you know and and it wasn't that we were creating something new it was actually about you extracting that out of us um and so i you know i can genuinely say now because of you that i can actually verbally put together in you know my elevator pitch that small is a new big is about creating um genuine community connection by providing housing diversification and and the the why we do that is we get people people out of despair insecurity and fear into freedom choice and certainty and the reason they've got confidence um, and the ability to move forward is because they've got extra money in their bank account and so the ability to be able to show that and throw that out that that quickly um, was all due to you being able to put that together but at the same token it also had under other incremental steps within the background of our business for all our employees to understand that we are all on the same page. I do remember this one time that um, the first time I heard you speak, you were speaking about quantum physics. And I thought, geez, this guy's supposed to be talking about, you know, the colors, the logos and the marketing campaigns and the funnels of the people coming in. And he's talking about quantum physics. That's it's a bit of a blow away. But I think one of the things that, that really struck me in that presentation the first time I'd seen you um, was that you said... If CBA or, you know, I use CBA, if any multinational company goes out and creates an advertising marketing campaign that says that they're all lovely and fluffy, like all the insurance companies at the moment are making you feel warm and fluffy, if you turned up to their front door and you walked into their office space and their staff didn't believe that, well, then that's a complete waste of money. And and that's what struck me with you. Um, you've got some classic examples about some big multinational companies that would bring in they you know what's your view on bringing new marketing head of marketing into different agencies around the, the country and different businesses around the country uh, well the first thing um let me let me answer that question in one second but the first thing i want to say is when you just recited your brand work which i remember distinctly it just gave me goosebumps in <laughs> because I remember that work and um, extraordinary work it was. It was so good working with you and your team, um, you know, to get to, and, and you're right, we didn't create anything. What we did was we pulled it out of you because it was already there and we just articulated it. And so I was just sitting there listening to you and going, oh my God, that was, I remember that, that was brilliant. And it still is. And, and I also remember um, looking at the products you're offering and saying, and, and by the way, your logo, and saying, well, we don't need to discuss that. That's fine. And, um, you know, your products are awesome, man. And so it's not about that either. 
And, you know, it's not about me sitting here and saying, you know, your products are not up to scratch. Um, your products were, were incredible. And I still it's also, do. It's also not, and it's also not about price either. No, no, it wasn't about price either. And, and I didn't really spend a lot of time talking on that. It was really about um, your discovery of um, you know, remembering, really awakening to the fact of who you are and why you're here as an organization, as a collective, your team. And then being able to connect in that way energetically, you know, the reason I spoke about quantum physics, and I, sp I spent a lot of time talking to you about your energy, and in many respects, we spent more time talking about that than anything else. The, the whole energetic connection of Ian, because your energy is extraordinary, um, and you have this ability to be able to connect when you're working from a position of, you know, source self in, true in, right? And, and it's amazing stuff. And then, then the rest of it is really all about, well, what are we actually going to provide in terms of proof behind that, which is the rest of it. Um, so, so yeah, that was, uh, it was a great time. Um, in terms of um, the marketing director comment, um, uh, the last time I looked at this, I mean, marketing directors were changing jobs about every 14 months. Um, and the, the, the new marketing director is kind of like the new broom because really most of them, from what I've found from my experience over the last 30 years in this business is, um, the new job is really all about developing the profile and developing uh, the CV so you can move to the next job and get the next pay rise. And the new job is really about being the new broom and coming in here and saying, what can I create now that is going to provide a spike in the revenue that's yep. going to make my CV look good? It's not really about the brand heritage or it's not really about, um, you know, developing the culture or any of those other fundamentally important, in, in fact, essential, vital things that actually makes a brand a brand. And it's not the logo and it's none of those things. I mean, the, the logo is always meant to be just a short-term mnemonic reflection of what the brand actually stands for and what it's promising and how it goes about delivering that and connecting with people. Um, you know, colours, who cares, man? I mean, I've said to many clients, you know, pick whatever colours you want. I mean, yes, there is psychology behind colours, but at the end of the day, um, you know, the only uh, kind of impact a, a logo has or should have on people is that they, it should be a memory trigger to say, I've had the experience with those guys and I loved it. I mean, it was awesome. Or I've had the experience with those guys and they lied to me. They deceived me. They didn't uh, deliver what they said they would. They didn't keep their promise. Uh, and so um, the, the marketing director, I think, uh, you know, has been a, a massive part of the problem of creating brands because I think the vast majority of them don't really understand what a brand is and are really in the business of creating uh, promotional spikes. And so what's the next promotional campaign that I can develop and that can be attributed to me that's going to create a spike in revenue? And that really doesn't have much to do with profit, by the way, or mm. what the customer actually thinks of what's being delivered. And and then it's going to make me look good so I can update my CV and go to the next promotion. And and so, you know, the, the, the downgrading, the, you know, the demise of brands you know, in this country, on this planet, and there has been a massive demise. I mean, it's shocking what's going on. Um, just look at any uh, television campaigns or mainstream media, traditional media or new media, and they're not, they're not creating uh, brand stories that seduce you into something that's really good for you. They're yelling at you um, mm. with promotional discounts or, you know, uh, tricks to uh, seduce you into 
you know, something that they can sell you. It's disgraceful. The, the brand story is almost a thing of the past. And so marketing directors, I don't believe, know how to do this stuff anymore. And, and so all they know how to do is create catchy little phrases with an offer or a discount or some kind of, um, you know, uh, trick to have you get, get you in, to get your details so that they can engage you and sell you something, create a spike and then move on. And, and so, you know, we're not talking about brands anymore, Ian. Uh, we're talking about commodity traders, traders. We're talking about transactional businesses that's just trying to sell as much stuff as they can, um, and don't really and kind of treat the the consumer as you know a bunch of lemmings who are thoughtless and got mm. an idea. Yeah, I'm glad. I mean, I'm glad you talked about the bottom line because I'm I'm sick of people saying you know I turn over ten million dollars and, and and you know what's your bottom line? Oh, we lost a million last year. Well, that's fucking useless, isn't it? Like, what's the point of having these revenue spikes? And you know, we've spoken about this many times before. I know that I can go into Myers, see something that I like, and wait three months and I could get it on on sale because I know that they're going to put it on sale at some point in time. And if that if that is your um, brand, if your brand is known to me that I can get it in sale in three months time then why would I, why would you continue doing that and um, you know it's it's really it's really a downfall of um, society you, you know you mentioned TV um, what I found and I've always done this I've been really vulnerable about how I place my life and, and you're you're very similar um, I the, I was you know we watch TV every now and then um, you know during COVID uh, early on, uh, the entertainment guy, whatever his name is from Channel 9, um, he ended up with, um, he was tested positive corona, which meant that everyone had to go home and, and work from home. And Channel 9 put together a really heartfelt message from everyone's individual life, which involved their family and involved the actual vulnerability. And for me, Christine and I sat there and we watched this small snippet of Channel 9 and all of these people talking from their homes. And we went, wow, that was really nice. That actually felt genuine and it wasn't, and, you know, it wasn't forced. It was actually people talking about their vulnerability. And the, in that, there's an energy. Um, I mean, you talk about emotions having different energies and the vibrations that they vibrate at. I mean, do you want to talk about that? Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and this is um, really around the stuff that I was talking to you about quantum physics because... You know, neuroscientists and um, quantum physicists have been able to measure the vibrational energy or the cycles, they call it hertz per second, of different emotional states. And what they found, and by the way, spiritualists and, um, you know, kind of spiritual leaders have been talking about this for thousands of years. And it's really just come down to the fact now that science is verifying what spiritual leaders have been talking about forever. And quantum physics, particularly not traditional physics, has, has done that. Quantum physics has been doing that. And so from my investigation into quantum physics, what I found was that, you know, just states like fear, um, you, you know, um, anxiety, stress, um, you know, guilt, these envy, these kinds of emotional states are very low vibrational states, very dense, um, and also very diminishing, quite destructive in nature. Um, this is what the quantum physicists found out. Um, and then what they found is, you know, if you start going up through the scale, you find that uh, emotional energy like uh, love vibrates at 500 hertz per second, um, which is very high vibrational energy, which is very multiplying, expansive, engaging, consuming, um, very powerful and positive, um, you know, same as acceptance and the same as wisdom and the same as 
you know, um, enlightenment and these other kind of uh, high vibrational emotional states. And what I found in, in terms of my study of leadership and organizations uh, in many respects is that they're operating in very low vibrational states. And so they, they motivate through fear, they motivate through control, uh, they motivate through many of these other devices that leaders use to get people to do what um, you know, they, they would choose to do anyway if they were in the right environment. And so when you get, when you get leaders um, who vibrate at very high vibrational energy, but they're kind of uh, adhering to this idea of what the quantum physicists have found out um, in their studies and have done since, you know, the, the, the guys that really started doing this work in the 1900s and, and are really, uh, really just kind of getting, um, you know, scratching the surface of what uh, we know and understand. And so quantum physicists talk about the fact that everything is energy. Uh, people are energy. Uh, everything we see is basically vibrational energy. And it's electromagnetic energy to be more particular. And so the electro is really the thought and the magnetic energy is really the feeling. And so, you know, your thoughts are energy and there's a massive number of um, these kinds of uh, um, scientists and also uh, leaders who talk about the fact that, you know, guys like Joe Dispenza and many of these guys talk about the fact that what you think is what you become, what you experience. And in many respects, that that can be um, magnified and accelerated in terms of what not only what you think, but what the feelings that you put around it, right? And so when you, when you uh, supplement your thinking um, with your feelings, it has a tendency to kind of attract, uh, you know, what you're thinking and feeling because we know from quantum physics that like energy attracts like energy. I mean, it's kind of the way it works. It's always worked that way. I mean, leaders, spiritual leaders have been talking about this. You know, guys like um, uh, Lao Tzu um, have been talking about this for thousands of years that, you know, what you think and what you feel is what you experience. I mean, it becomes your view of the reality of the world. You know, this three-dimensional matrix we're on. I mean, it's not about what the world does to us. It's about what we do to the world. I mean, how we interact with the world, how we see it, how we feel it. Um, and so therefore, if you're fundamentally negative in nature, um, then you're going to experience a negative world that you live in. I mean, you're gonna attract this stuff. However, if you're fundamentally more optimistic in nature and positive in nature and more expansive and more kind of working from high vibrational energy, this is what you have a tendency to attract. And, and especially if your intentions are very clear, right? If you're not kind of muddled and all over the place. So if you've got clarity and focus and a great deal of the work I do with leaders, as you know, and which is what I did with you is, let's understand who you are really, uh, Ian, as your source self, and, and let's get clarity and focus around that so you can articulate that. And when you have clarity and focus of intention matched with high vibrational energy, this is what you experience in life. And imagine doing that from a collective point of view, which, which is what I call um, culture. When you have aligning and attuned energy from the leader's intentions and behavior um, inside an organization that is attuned with that, you have a powerful culture. And I believe cultures are just really uh, attuned energy. You have a powerful culture that's unstoppable. You don't have to control these people. They're stepping up and embracing the idea of wanting to do something. Um, you know, to um, be their best self as well inside that environment. And so you don't need to put sanctions on them or you don't need mm. to put limitations on them or you don't need to put controls on them. They want to do the work. 
they, yep. they're there from, from, you know, they're feeling that energy. And, you know, this is what happens when you have an organ, a leader in an organization that is functioning like that around this kind of energetic vibration and clarity of intention and collective clarity of intention, um, consumers feel it as well. And Absolutely. they actually feel it because because we know time and you know, energy has no time and space in, right? And no. so they actually start seeking you out. And this is what real brands are. And so, and it's an interesting thing. I mean, it's in, in its simplest form. You go to a party, you walk in a room and you look across the person, you go, oh, I don't want to be anywhere near them. Like, you know, there's, it's, there's plenty of scientific research now to say that the heart actually has its own thinking brain, uh, separate to the the brain that we've got in our head. Um, and, you know, your cat, your cat knows when you're having a bad day. Yeah, I've done some research on that one. Um, so f first around the heart, it's been proven by... Um, uh, neuroscientists at MIT um, and also uh, quantum physicists. These guys are having a tendency to work a whole lot more together now, quantum physicists and neuroscientists, mm -hmm. um, because they know uh, the brain has electromagnetic energy and so does the heart. And it's been proven that there's only two organs in your body that generate electromagnetic energy and it's your brain and your heart. And the heart generates a hundred times more electromagnetic energy than the brain. And so does it make sense to actually through you know, um, create your intentions through your heart brain, which is powerful energy. And so you, you're right, Ian. I mean, you know, thinking and acting through the heart, what I call the thing that makes your heart beat the strongest, the pulse of who you are, um, is way more powerful than actually thinking through your head. And, you know, in many respects, I talk to leaders and say, you know, you need to stop thinking and start feeling. And I don't say to them, what do you think about that? I always say to them, what do you feel about that? Yeah. And so in the, inside that discussion, you know, there's this kind of starting to understand the whole power of intu intuition, right? Um, intuition is something that comes, uh, is manifested through the heart. And really my definition of intuition, let me see if I can remember it, is um, it's being the interpreter of the non-conscious mind and the non-conscious is connected to the field of all knowingness, the infinite field of possibilities, the quantum field um, of all knowingness. And, and it's interpreting that feeling because the non-conscious mind is really your emotional mind and it comes out through your heart. And when you're really good at interpreting that kind of language, which is the language of the emotions, the language of the heart, you become an incredible powerful guy. And you know, even Harvard did research on this and they found that the top 2% of their alumni um, said, what is the secrets to your success? And the first thing they said was trusting my intuition. And so these guys are kind of masters of energy and masters of the interpretation of the emotional energy that is being um, you know, mass manifested through their heart from their non-conscious and the quantum. And so they kind of let the answers come to them, right? I mean, you know, Ian, I'll ask you many times, you know, when have you had your great ideas, mate? I mean, were you going through a critical method of thinking or the, you know, the scientific method of thinking? Or were you standing in the shower or going for a run that just came to you? Mm. Yeah, it's those times where you're shutting off the rest of the world that it comes in. And, you know, um, I think it was Thomas Edison that used to sleep with a um, string attached around his pinky up over the top on his, he had a four poster bed over the top of a roller and down with a bell on the end of it. And it, as he was falling asleep, he would nod off and that would ring the bell. And it was at those moments in time that he thought his best thoughts. And, you know, for me, 
when I worked with you, um, we worked down to me as a leader, what's my pulse? What's my center core? And mm. mine, mine worked out to be when we worked through your process was intuitive change. So for me, you know, I suppose you could also say, what is your pulse? What is the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning? And for me, it was intuitive change. It was the ability to watch someone else in change in front of me and myself and them that change is from a decision of intuition. It's no thinking about it. You know, you get to a fork in the road and you just go, does that feel better or does that feel better? And you take the better feel. Rather than, you know, you get to a fork in the road and you see this massive obstacle in front of you. Um, and then on this way, there's no obstacle, but the way that's got the obstacle in front of it feels better. I'm still going to take that path. I'm not going to think about what's out in front of me. It feels better to go down that path. And for me, like that was awesome because it then, because I used to say what gets me out of bed every time is to watch someone change. Every day I want to see someone change, whether I've got something to do with it or not. But to see someone change so that they make decisions with intuition for me just lit me up like I went, ah, oh, that's perfect. That's exactly what I'm about. Um, what What do you see... Like you've worked with a number of CEOs in group format, one-on-one. -on -one. You know, you've said already that their limiting factor is they think with their conscious mind, and I know you call it the non-conscious mind. That's one part of it. What's what's the big part that stops them from changing? It's it's a lot of it's got to do with the system we're in, and so you know, many of them are kind of many of the leaders I think today are victims of the system. I'm, I don't think you can look at all these people and say they're fundamentally bad. I don't think that at all. I mean, I think people are fundamentally good. Um, and I think they have the intentions, you know, when they kind of really sit and think about it and feel about it, they say, oh, God, I'd like to do good. I'd like to produce something that makes this world a better place. I think people really want to do that. And especially leaders, because I think people want to be leaders because they want to actually uh, do something good and create a legacy that leaves the world a bit of a better place than what they, um, how they found it. Uh, but I think what happens is, and this is what happened to me, and I know it happens to a lot of leaders because I hear it repeated over and over again. In fact, I was having a talk with a CFO from uh, London. I'm working with him on his best self-identity now, this whole thing that we've been talking about. Um, and he, he, his career is extraordinary. I mean, it's not about money with him or position or status. I mean, he's just lost. He said to me, I'm lost because I'm just sitting here wondering why I'm doing this what it actually means. I mean, I'm, I'm, I have no meaning here. And um, I just don't feel I'm cr creating any value really in people's lives. I just keep taking. And so, you know, I think, uh, you know, what we're talking about here is the limiting factor is this traditional, um, outmoded, archaic system that we're in, which I believe right now in this current situation as we speak in, um, is collapsing before our very eyes. Um, I think it is. I think, you know, what we're experiencing very traditionally in terms of the way things have always been done just doesn't work anymore. And so leaders, uh, and, you know, and I experience this myself, is you, the further you get up into, you know, the status of organisations and with the title and the responsibilities and the accountability that goes along with that, uh, the more you find yourself stuck in a system that has n no fluidity, no flexibility at all. And you become a victim of the system. And so what happens is, you know, and the system, by the way, is very left-brained. Uh, the system is very conscious and analytical and rational uh, in its approach. And so everything has got to be verified. I mean, everything um, has got to have a number attached to it so we can measure it. 
And, um, you know, it's kind of the antithesis of what you were talking about in terms of your leadership style and your lifestyle, by the way, which is fundamentally intuitively based. Mm. And so in many respects, I'll bet you, so you'll look at numbers and go, you know what, I'm looking at those numbers and they all stack up, but it doesn't feel right. So therefore, I'm going to go with my feeling. Mm. And so this is going on all the time. And these guys are not able to go with your intuition. I think in many respects, uh, sort of intuitively, they're very naive because these powers have never really been developed or um, allowed to develop. In fact, they're shut down. We don't want you, we don't want you thinking like that. We actually want you to adhere to the system as it is. And the system, as I said, is very left-brained. It's very beta. Um, you know, we remember we, to, we, you and I were talking about uh, in, enhancing your intuitive powers. Well, that mostly happens in an alpha state of brain. Mm. Alpha and theta, by the way, state of mind. Delta is when you're asleep. But alpha and theta is when you're kind of the doorway to intuitive powers, to the non-conscious mind, which some people call the subconscious. Um, the doorway is much more wider open, and this information is allowed to flow through and, and provide you with answers, right, without thinking analytically about it. But we live in an analytical world, um, a world that is dominated um, by, you know, systems and processes that have got to have a numeric, numeric value to them. And, you know, we as human beings actually can't live like that. Um, and, and great businesses have always been, um, you know, counter in terms of culture to that. They've always been the, the, the really great businesses. If you look at them, you say, you know, how did that ever happen? You know, it just doesn't make sense. Well, it actually does make sense because what they did was they took a completely different approach to, you know, Branson has kind of built his career on this, hasn't he? Where he just says, it feels right for me to do this. Mm. I mean, I read the story about the airline. It's like, you just wouldn't do it if you sat down and did the numbers. No. <laughs> but of course, he went, he went ahead and, and it worked, right? And yeah. so, you know, most of what he does in business, he just sits there and says, how's that feel to me? Yeah, I think I'll do that, you know, and um, off he goes. And then he finds the experts to make stuff happen. And, and most businesses these days are not built like that. You know, they're built completely rationally and inside a kind of pretty heavy cage jail, really, of systems and processes that are about measurement and control and rationality and validation uh, of everything. And um, leaders are going to work inside this context, and it's incredibly limiting. I mean, they've literally got no power at all. No, you know, and, and the one thing for certain is, and you were mentioning, you know, that the talent I've got um, in our business and that when, when your talent, you know, um, what, what's a staff member, someone who turns up for work, what's a talent, someone who turns up for work and will do any, anything for your business to make sure it succeeds. And they, they are yep. all on, they're all on the same journey and I don't like the word journey but they're all on the journey with you and you know during this um, you know time with with what's happened with corona and COVID and whatever direction everyone had to go in you know for a number of years and and we're, we're changing our business because for a number of years my intuition was to say I think we need to change that and I want to change it right now and that's just threw all the talent up in the in the in the air because they're going oh but we were going down this path and now you want to go down this path but I think ultimately if you 
uh, I wasn't doing this on purpose. When something was forced on us as a business to to pivot and change, they all stepped up. I mean, just this technology and the way we're doing things. So, you know, the two guys behind the desk there, Darren Aaron, they had to step up. They had to find ways to be able to do that. And I didn't ask them to do it. They just said, the business needs to change direction. What do we need to do to make this better than ever before? And, you know, you talk about all of them, Bianca and Josie and Rebecca and, and Christine and everyone, they just sort of stepped up. But that's the downfall with leaders right now. They don't have people behind them to back them and say, look, you know, even if that's the direction you want to take, and even that's not right for what I'm thinking right now, I can see that you're passionate about it and I'm going to, I'm going to follow and I'm going to do what I want to do. But that's where CEOs sort of fall down or leaders fall down. They don't make the decisions they have to make and they're fearful of change. Like imagine being stuck in a job and hating your job so much, but being fearful to leave because what if I can't provide? And that's a fairly, fairly limiting belief system. Um, and I'm sure that's something you work with, with leaders and people all, the, all day long. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, what you talk about there is absolutely right. I find it every day. Um, and I'm working with leaders, uh, lots of leaders from all over the planet all the time. And, and this, you know, I mean, if there's anything that um, comes across as a fairly similar theme, it's what you're talking about. And, you know, these guys, uh, especially guys, in, uh, not so much guys who are running their own businesses like you, who have the freedom to be able to um, say, I want to change this and I want to change it now because it feels right. So come on, guys, let's all get on board and let's understand why we're doing this. And then, uh, you know, let's support each other to go about doing it. And, and you can create change very fast. But, you know, got a lot of guys inside organizations, especially leaders who have got, you know, chairman and boards and the shareholders, um, you know, the bigger they are, the more uh, difficult it is to change the, sh the, you know, the nature of the way the ship turns or, or anything for that matter. Um, you know, these guys are in a state of, uh, you know, lim limitation by all the, you know, all the people they have to get on board to get any form of decision. And mostly, you know, when you bring the committee in, you know, you, the committee is designing a racehorse and gets the camel all the time. <laughs> so the whole thing gets dumbed down and, you know, and you end up with this kind of blancmange, you know, of, uh, you know, and now it doesn't mean anything anymore. So the original intention is gone. Uh, because everybody's got their hands all over it and because they're playing a safe game. And, and you know, the safe game has always been 10 to 20% year on year. And let's just kind of extract it out of the team in terms of, um, you know, get the head of the Razor Gang in and pull all the costs out of the business so that we get some margin there and maybe get, you know, get a bit more out of how we interact with, um, you know, our customers and clients or whatever. And so, there's no real change that ever actually happens inside this system. Uh, that's number one. Number two is um, the vast majority of leaders, as you say, are operating in a state of fear. I mean, seriously, mate, um, you know, when I was in my last CEO role, and, and this is, it's really hard to get me fearful, but in my last CEO role, uh, you know, and the reason I say that is because, you know, I did, as you know, I did 17 years of martial arts, got the fourth Dan Black Belt, I can stand toe to toe with anybody, but that's not what it's all about. It's really about, you know, um, this sense of security um, around being able to provide for your family and being able to live a quality of life that you want to live and do what you want to do. And that gets threatened all the time. And for the most part, um, the, threats, the threats are not even, um, you know, that direct. It's always this kind of, uh, you know, passive aggressive stuff uh, around, you know, your career or your job or your role or your tenure. Um, that gets pushed on you, you know, through the system and the processes. And then, of course, you know, there's this other thing is if you're going to make radical change, then how do we know that's going to work? I mean, prove it to us. 
And so, you know, it never really happens. It just doesn't happen for that reason as well. So, you know, I kind of look at leaders and I do feel this in many respects because they're in a cage and they're chained and they're gagged and they've really got no responsibility. They're in a state of fear and the fear is being used against them all the time. And this is why nothing really happens unless there's something dramatic, right? Unless like this thing that you're talking about, this current crisis is pretty dramatic on a global scale, uh, catastrophic really. And so potentially I look at stuff like this and, and by the way, I have been consulting with several shaman who I work with mm. about what their view on this stuff is. And, and they're kind of sitting there going, it's happening the way it should. Mm. And, you know, um, the, the old, dense um, systems and processes, paradigms, thinking, feeling is collapsing. And it's dark. It's the dark side. It's collapsing, right? And so what's going to come out of this is leaders like you and many others who are questioning this whole process and looking for answers and, and not using the mainstream media to get their answers, but are using really verifiable, intelligent resources to kind of get make sense of this whole thing. And they're recalibrating and they're recalibrating quickly. And these it's these people that are going to say, there just must be a new way of doing things. We cannot continue to do them the old way anymore because they don't work and nobody's been happy. And, you know, and this organization has not been performing anywhere near as well as it could or it should, you know, in terms of its ability to serve people mm. and its ability to make profit. And, you know, we do, we've got to talk about profit because I've been, I've sat in, you know, when I used to do chair groups of leaders in peer-to-peer -peer learning, um, there was one case in particular, I'll never forget this guy, um, for, for about 12 months, he talked about how his business was turning over over $100 million. Over a hundred million, over a hundred million. He kept saying it all the time, like it was a badge. Um, and then we had this discussion. I'll never forget this one day about um, some of the pressures that he was put under by his owners, who were Singaporean-based. Um, and I said, "Why is all this pressure being put on you? You know, why have you not got the freedom?" And I found out he was turning. He was making a hundred thousand dollars a year in profit. Yeah, out of a hundred million mate, turnover. You know, you, out of 100 million. Now, my view of that was, and I didn't say it to him because it would have been pretty mean, but mate, shut the doors. You're yeah. wasting your time. I'm getting the hell out. I mean, there's a big, there's a big risk factor in that, you know. There's just one, one. Well, imagine right now that, you know, imagine during the turn of COVID, um, what that would do to a business. Like, if it's only making hundred thousand dollars, well, you're going into a, a default position straight away. You know, it's it's it's, 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 a, it's over. In. Yeah. yeah, and so yeah, and, it's, a, it's over. I was I was listening I was watching a, a documentary with Jim Carrey in there and um, he he sort of through this documentary it was actually about a, a role he played in a movie uh, Man on the Moon and he was playing a comedian who was just out there this comedian had no no limitations whatever he said and did he wanted to do he did it and so Jim Carrey was paying it, and he played him for the whole time of the recording of the movie he played that comedian um, in as a method actor so he actually never came out of the role of, of who he was and um, and then the documentary was, you know, 15 years down the track and Jim's sitting there and, you know, there's a guy that's woken up. There's a guy that's, you know, realized there's, there's much more to this life. And he talks about quantum physics and energy as well. And yep, he said, yep. he said, um, you know, you, you can fail doing something you don't love. So you may as well do something you, you want to, you do love 
there's not really a choice, right? So there's no decision to make. And what struck me with that was that if you're not in a job that you love, if you're not, if you're not doing something that you really are passionate about, should you really be doing? And there's the fear of, you know, should I take that step? Um, I suppose the one thing that the one, the story that always captivates me and, and, and gets for me, got me a better understanding of your business and what you do was a story that you tell about the accountant who was a small time accountant trying to win a big account. And he came to you for some advice on how to win, win the account. Do you want to tell that story? Yeah. Um, well, he wasn't a small time accountant. He was kind of second tier actually. Right. So, uh, you know, how you've got the big four or the big five, uh, and then you've got the second tier guys. So he was, um, he was the, um, uh, lead partner of this uh, chartered accounting firm and they had about 200 people and so they would you know I mean clearly doing pretty well if I mentioned the name um, most people would mention would know it but um, I ended up catching up with him and we, we got into this discussion and I asked him these two questions do you remember this Ian I said what are you in the business of doing and what do you do hmm. um, and he said he said this to me he said oh we're chartered accountants Glenn and what we do here is we um, specialize in tax, we specialize in business insolvency, and we specialize in, um, you know, business consulting. And I said, well, that's what you do, but what are you in the business of doing? And this is what he said to me. He said, well, you're clearly not listening to me. We're chartered accountants. And I just sat there and looked at him and he said to me, what are you thinking? And I said, well, I can't wait to get out of this room because this is so fundamentally boring. It's like you've got this badge that you're a chartered accountant. There's so many of them out there. Who cares? I mean, there's no distinction. There's nothing around the heart on this. There's nothing, you know, for me to get excited and really connect with on this. Um, and so, you know, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> and then um, as the story goes, you'll remember this. Um, he said, oh, well, yeah, and it was very smart of him to do this, by the way. I thought it was very in incredibly intelligent thing to do because he said to me, oh, well, let's do a bit of a role reversal. You be me and I'll be you and I'll ask you the questions. And I said, and I, my first thought was, yeah, but I don't do strategy on the fly like this. This is crazy. Um, but uh, what happens with me, and I found that is one of my inherent talents, is I do have a tendency to challenge this. I mean, I think it's very into uh, cha channel. I mean, this because I think it's very intuitive of, um, and so um, he said, so, you know, uh, Dave, uh, what are you in the business of doing and what do you do? And I said, um, we're in the business of creating, and I still, I have no, to this day, I have no idea where this stuff comes from, like most of the, the some of the great thoughts that I have. Um, I said, yes, well, Glenn, we're in the business of creating uh, generational legacies for um, our staff, their families, our clients, their families and everybody's lives they touch. And what we do is we do that through being exceptional chartered accountants. And he just looked at me and went, generational legacies. And I said, yeah. And <laughs> and he just went, wow, okay, I get it. I mean, it's completely different. And I said, you know, the fact that I mentioned generational legacies and what um, that was all about, did you really need to know that we were chartered accountants? He said, no. I said, so well, we don't even need to talk about that, do we? Mm. I mean, yeah. that's enough. And, and and the generational legacies idea was all about how we want to influence people in powerful, positive ways so that their lives are better. And it just became one of those kind of statements um, that really reflected that. 
Um, and, you know, I didn't charge him for that work. I just left and uh, we kind of left it there. And about three months later, he contacted me and said he's pitched this massive piece of business um, and he, he used generational legacies. And they came back to him and awarded him the business against the top four and said the reason we did was because of that, mm. because it's so it was such a different way of stating who you are and what you live for and what you stand for. Um, which was cheating a little bit because he used it, but I don't think he lived it. And um, <laughs> he ended up winning. He ended up winning this business that was about one hundred and twenty thousand dollars a month in fees. Yeah, not bad, not bad. You know, I um, not bad. Yeah, I um, I think you know, you talked about um, alpha, beta, theta state. You know, you want to get into the right state to be able to have your best thoughts in mind, and that's a vibration. But you, there are ways that you can create that vibration. Um, you gave me one pretty handy tip. Do you want to talk about that um, tip? Yeah, yeah. Um, there, there are many ways. And in fact, uh, once you start to understand the different cycles in which the brain works, uh, you know, neuroscience has proven that the beta state of mind is actually your least productive state of mind. Um, and that's what they call the crazy monkey mind. That's when you, you know, you've, uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember the Hertz vibrations, but I think it's, it's quite high. It's around 14 or 17 plus hertz per second. And um, this beta mind is when your mind is really busy. I mean, you've got a lot of thoughts coming in and out and you've got a lot of, uh, you know, functions going on in your brain that's firing. Um, and, you know, it's, it's actually not the uh, brain state that you want to be in to do your best work. The alpha state is actually the alpha and um, theta are really the brain states that you want to be in. And uh, to me, I like to be in the alpha state of mind. And this is what you and I talked about. I said, you know, Ian, you really want to work hard to try and be in an alpha state of mind all the time, all the time. And, and because that's when your best thoughts and your, you know, the solutions are going to come to you. And that's when you're going to be calm and resourceful, calm and resourceful, not frantic and not running around trying to, you know, solve all the problems frantically in the beta state, crazy monkey mind. Um, you're actually in there going, you know, okay, no problem. I mean, we can solve this and let's find a way to solve it and solutions come to you. And so um, the methods that I've used, I think I recommended to you Brain FM. Mm -hmm. um, you know, which is a streaming service um, that has been produced by neuroscientists and is award-winning, and it's kind of AI, um, actually, um, technology. And and it um, they have different um, with Brain FM. I, I think uh, a, fr a friend of mine actually bought it for me for Christmas about several years ago, um, and uh, I didn't check it out until about two months later, and then I used it once. Uh, in the focus side of their offer, which is all alpha. And um, I did about, um, I think I was 40%, this is the way I evaluated, about 40% more productive in less time. And mm -hmm. I went, my God, I rang him and I said, hey, hey, Nick, I've just used uh, Brain FM and my productivity went through the roof and I just came up with better quality thinking and better quality ideas. My work was so much better. And so I did, I did better quality work in less time and with more ease. And yep. it was just, I just went, wow. And so that kind of won me on the whole alpha state. And then I use Theta Music as well. And you can download this stuff. You can get it through Brain FM. Um, and I have a tendency to use the headphones. And um, I play, uh, I do these things called Pomodoros. I think I've given, given you this technique as well, haven't I, Ian? Yep. Um, Pomodoros is an Italian word for tomato. And it was developed by this guy whose name I forget. And he used to put the tomato timer on to 25 minutes. And what he found was through 
um, a scientific approach was that um, 25 minutes in terms of focusing on a particular project is the optimal time that you should, and after that you should take a break. And so what I do is I do these 25-minute Pomodoros, you know, 25-minute blocks of focus of work, listening to alpha music, and I try and do a half a dozen a day. And so what happens is my productivity goes through the roof. Uh, my quality of work and my solutions, uh, my creativity and imagination is so much better. Um, and I do it in a way where I'm not in any state of stress. I actually feel really good. Mm. And yeah. so um, yeah, the alpha, the alpha theta state of mind is is probably the best. And, and even though I think I gave you a technique, I'm going to go right into it here because you're going to love this one, me reminding you of this one, is I have this uh, ability. Now, you know how I talk about the non-conscious mind being the reservoir of incredible uh, information uh, that's connected to the quantum field. And so why would you actually work hard to solve all your problems in your conscious mind when your non-conscious mind, uh, which, uh, by the way, is um, you know responsible for 96 to 98 percent of all perception and behavior, why the, the hell would you not use your non-conscious mind to solve all your problems for you? And so the best way to do that is when you're asleep because your non-conscious mind never stops, you know? Yep. I mean, your conscious mind, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, if you were to look at it in terms of a computer bits per second, your conscious mind works at about 2,000 bits per second. Your non-conscious mind works at 400 billion bits per second. Mm -hmm. And so why would I play around in the conscious mind and believe that's the mind that's going to solve all my problems and help me to create a better life or whatever? And when I've got this uh, other resource that is, is just the ultimate powerhouse, that can provide me with any, everything. And so my technique around that is, I actually um, go to bed and just before I go to sleep, when I'm kind of in alpha, theta, right, just before I go into delta, I provide uh, my non-conscious mind with the challenge that I'm looking to solve. And I say, I'm literally looking to solve this problem and this is it and I'm very, my briefs are very good. I'm very clear about what I'm looking to solve. And then what I do is go to sleep and let my non-conscious mind do the work work on the problem, which it is doing, um, mm. which is what it's there to do. And what happens is, I have a tendency, you, you, you've experienced this, you wake up at about three o'clock in the morning and go, oh man, there's the idea. <laughs> and what I find is I will wake up at three o'clock in the morning and come up with the idea, which is a solution to my problem, go, oh man. And then what I got to do, let's get more sophisticated about this. I started talking to my non-conscious mind and saying, can you wake me up at seven, please, instead of three? Because I really want, don't want my sleep interrupted. <laughs> yes. And I go, the non-conscious non mind is like this child, you know? It's like, I've got a solution for you, Glenn. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Yeah. And, and, and it does. And, and um, I solve all my problems like that. I go, I've got to find a different solution to this kind of system or this process or you know, this client problem or whatever it is. And I don't do the work in my conscious mind. I go to sleep and give it the, give my, and by the way, I, I personify my non-conscious mind because that's uh, the best way to do it. And my non-conscious mind is called Michael. And I go, Michael, I've got a challenge for you to overcome. And could you please put your, all your resources on this? It'd be great. And I usually wake up in the morning or the next day or whenever, and I find that this stuff just comes to me. And there's the solution. And it's my non-conscious mind delivering um, mm. a, a fab fabulous outcome. And the vast majority of people on the planet have no idea about any of this stuff, let alone business leaders. Yep, and it's you know it's it's eye opening. I'm sure a few people are, are listening to this going, oh wow, no, that's pretty impressive. Like, you know what? I'm not a boys' boy or a man's man. I never have been. Like, I've always been more comfortable talking to the women in the kitchen than out drinking beer with the with the boys. 
Um, there's very few nights where I've been out with the boys. And when I was younger, obviously, you know, you go and play poker with your mates, at, you know, at, on a Saturday or whatever, um, or go out to a nightclub or that. But one distinct night that for me was, you know, I'd, we just sat on your couch um, watching the Tars play and um, eating sushi. And it was a really memorable night for me because we talked about everything from one end of the spectrum to the other, you know, whether, whether the Tars are ever going to make it, whether one of their former players should have been putting their stuff out in the media about religion to, um, you know, to to quantum physics and the like. And I, I, I really like the ability to be able to talk to people on all different levels, which is what I like about you. I mean, how, how, do, how do people... Um, get in contact with you how do how do they um see what you do in your business well they can um you know my uh, i'll be happy to give you my email my email address is glenn g-l-e-n at brandhart b-r-a-n-d you can see it on the screen there b-r-a-n-d-h-e-a-r-t dot com dot au just send me an email if you want to catch up with me and talk about all these things and by the way i do remember that night because i was surprisingly um met you at that conference where i was speaking mm. at which you were attending um, and we saw each other outside on the street, remember? And you were there with Rebecca. And um, and I said, I was pushing you because I said, um, and you know what I'm like, I really love a good conversation. Yeah. And I know, uh, Ian, I'm going to have a really good conversation with you. And so I really pushed you, remember, that night and said, come on over to my place for dinner, mate. Come on. I'll shout, you know, come over to my place. We'll watch the footy and um, we'll have a chat. And, um, and you said, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll make that happen. And you came over and I just remember that night very well as well. And it was just one of those nights um, and not enough. Uh, this doesn't happen anywhere near often enough, uh, Ian, with anybody, um, where you can just sit down and have those mm. expansive conversations around everything from philosophy to, um, you know, to football or to business or to life or whatever it is. And it was just a wonderful time. I remember it very well. And I do remember that your judge, your cat, who's a very good judge of character, very much liked me. Uh, I'm just saying, right? Uh, <laughs> so, uh, and my cat, my cat is a very good judge of character because he is an incredible around energy. Um, he feels the energy. And, and um, remember, I was going to tell you that story where I did a bit of research on him one night and I was doing some research into energy. And uh, I remember... Um, I was standing outside my front door and, and I thought, and, and my wife is incredibly sensitive to energy as well. She's a, a numerologist, as you know, and um, very spiritual and she can feel it. And anyway, I, 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 uh, what, what normally happens is when I come home, um, my cat Winnie, his name is Winnie, um, British blue short hair, lovely guy. Anyway, he always seems to know when I'm turning up, he can hear me or sense me. And he's sitting there waiting, sitting, waiting, and I open the door and he just walks straight towards me. And he always just walks straight towards me and greets me, you know. And um, anyway, this particular night, I stood outside and I really worked myself up into a negative state of energy. You know, I really got kind of angry and, you know, I really kind of pushed this emotional energy. So it was very low vibrational energy. And I opened the door up, he looked at me and he turned around and bolted up the stairs. He was gone. I mean, we're, we're split second in. And, and I just went, oh, Winnie <laughs> felt it, he's gone. Um, and then I walked into the kitchen and Victoria had a back to me and she was making dinner and uh, she turned around and looked at me and, and she immediately went like this, what's wrong? <laughs> and I said, how do you know something's wrong? She said, I can feel it, what's wrong? Hmm. 
and that she was just reading my energy. It was my facial expression or anything. Um, and it was the energy. And, you know, people who are good at this can really read energy. You're good at this. I know you can. You yeah. can you can read your own energy. Uh, you're very intuitive around your own energy um, and around the energy of the room and the energy of people. You can feel it. And, you know, this is really one of the key capabilities of a leader. In fact, anybody on this planet who wants to lead a business or lead their life is to really start to know and understand their own energy and what they're vibrating at and the energy of other people and how to read that. And and, and really, I call it um, the alchemy of leadership is to be a master of energy. Mm. This is really the alchemy. I mean, it's not following all these archaic business uh, uh, systems and processes. Some of them are useful, skills and capabilities, some of them are useful, but really it's the guys that know how to do this um, and women especially that know how to do this um, are the people who really know how to bring people together under a common vision um, and, you know, under a common kind of cause for good and create, um, you know, uh, businesses that serve people in ways where they make a lot of money. And, you know, the profit, of course, is up to how the leadership uh, runs the business, but they make a lot of money because it is so rare in, it's incredibly rare to find businesses like this. Mm. I mean, it really is. I mean, yeah. commodity, uh, transactional commodity traders are everywhere. Um, they're everywhere. I mean, and this is what people are getting sick of. And this is why these businesses are struggling because they can't make money anymore. They've cut their margins so tight and they don't interact with people. They just, uh, this thing about, you know, I know when the promotion is coming, so I'm going to buy it's on the biggest discount I can. Hmm. Yeah, the transaction. Um, and they're running their business like that. And I've had discussions with CEOs of these big box retailers, uh, one in particular, um, I've probably told you about where he said to me, and I knew him from the days that um, I ran a very big um, supermarket chain, and he was now running a, a fashion a fashion big box retailer, and um, and he spoke to me about this, and he said, you know, what what's your view? Uh, and I just ran into him at a promotional event somewhere, and he said, what's your view about you know what I'm doing in business? And I said, you know, your promotional campaigns are completely uh, educating consumers to only buy on the biggest discount. Mm -hmm. And what happens is it's just going to be one of these things that fuels itself. And so, you know, today's 20% is going to be tomorrow's 30%, which is going to be next year's 40%, which is going to be next year's 50%. And you're, you're going to have to keep cutting the margins or, you know, get merchandise that is cheaper for you to buy. So you retain a margin, which is going to kill your brand anyway, because people know it's crap. And so, you know, you, you're constantly eroding your margins while at the same time your promotional campaigns are educating people to buy on the biggest discount, if they buy at all. Yep. And so there's no engagement here. There's no heart here, mate. You're a transactional commodity trader. He said, what do you think I should do? And I said, stop the promotional campaigns immediately. Save your money. Go in there and put your money back into the merchandise, put your money back into customer service where people, because they have no customer service. I mean, basically, you walk into one of these places and you've got to serve yourself and literally pay the money for yourself as well um, because there's nobody there. And, and so, you know, put your money back into people, put your money back into uh, training them, put your money back into incentivizing them in the right way and really provide uh, customer service that is heart-led. Um, and you just watch the customers come back. And then once you've done that, then go out there and tell them what you're actually doing rather than lie to them about what you're doing um, and think that that's going to work because they're too smart for that. Or add them the next, you know, big price off campaign, discount campaign, because it doesn't work. 
And so you're just a commodity and people don't uh, feel no reason to engage with or um, have any kind of emotional interaction with commodities. Why would you? Uh, there's nothing there to connect to. They've got no heart. And so there's so many businesses now who are doing this. And, and especially what happens is the thinking is so limited that when times get tough, they just go harder and they feel that they just got to spend more money and discount yep. more. And all they're doing is orchestrating their own demise because they can't break out of that system of thinking or that system of promotion or communication. I mean, you know, for the vast majority of advertising these days is just a disgrace mm -hmm. um, because there's no there's no intellect involved, there's no heart involved. And what mm -hmm. you're doing is you've got, to, we've got this product here, we've got to sell it. And the, the easiest way, to, the, the, the dumbest way to sell it is discount it and then create a little campaign that we put a, a massive amount of money behind because the more frequency we get, the more um, you know persuasive we are. Rubbish, the more frequency you get telling people to do that, the more annoying you are. Correct, correct. Yeah, and we see this on social media all the time, you know, just continuous bombardment of crappy marketing and advertising and people see straight yeah. through it, you know, and so um, it's been awesome to be able to work with you uh, in the past and working forward as well. I just want to thank you for your time um, and I hope anyone listening gets to gets the opportunity to work with you. I would love that, Ian, especially people who are connected to you, mate, because they're the right yeah. kind of people. And okay. so, yeah, thank you very much, Ian, and take care of yourself, mate. And I look forward to um, another one of those chats on the lounge where we explore the wonders. No worries. Awesome. Thank you. Take care, Ian. Thank you, mate. Thanks for hanging around the Small Talk Big Ideas podcast. We hope you enjoyed that and pulled out plenty of information that'll help you move forward. If you want to find out or listen to more podcasts, please subscribe, follow us on social media, or go to ianugate.com.au to find out much more about what we do. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Small Talk Big Ideas podcast. We hope we've succeeded in our goal to inspire and challenge you. And we look forward to catching you on the next episode of Small Talk Big Ideas with Ian Ugarte.